Everyone, and thank you for listening to Piano Whisperer. On this podcast, we'll be exploring the surprisingly vast world of pianos and pianists. So please join us as we interview all kinds of interesting and talented people, as well as provide behind-the-scenes encounters with all things piano. And now, with our host and savvy piano guide, Ben Klinger. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our debut episode of Piano Whisperer. My name is Ben Klinger. I feel so excited to have with us today Bonnie Barrett. Bonnie is director of Yamaha Artist Services in New York. And here's a snippet of her bio. In December, Bonnie was named one of Musical America's Top 30 Professionals for 2018. She has helped restructure Yamaha's artist relations program through the expansion of its piano artist roster. She's been executive producer of several groundbreaking Disclavier recordings and Disclavier TV broadcasts, produced live concerts and events, and cultivated new partnerships with major international music festivals, concert venues, and educational institutions. Prior to her appointment at Yamaha Artist Services, she was vice president of Barrett Vantage Artists, where she oversaw artist management and concert booking for a roster of highly acclaimed artists spanning the genres of classical, opera, cabaret, and jazz. Prior to that, she served as director of concert and artist activities for Steinway & Sons in New York. She has also held executive positions in marketing and public relations with Sony Classical, EMI, and BMG Classics. She began her career at Columbia Artists Management. She's a graduate of the Hart School of Music, where she majored in piano performance and received an MBA in marketing from Pace University in New York City. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. Doesn't that sound great? It does um, sound great. <laughs> 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 Woo, I'm exhausted listening to it. <laughs> that was a stripped down version. So you've had such an interesting career in the music business. I'd love to know a little bit about your early life with music and how you got where you are today. Sure. I've always loved music. It's always been just an essential part of of who I am. I think most people you talk to or who are musicians or are in the business might share that similar tendency. But in any case, I was very active in junior high school and high school in uh, various music programs that the school offered and loved it. I kind of did a little bit of everything. I was the pianist in the jazz ensemble, and I was in the chorus and conducted the chorus, and I was I played flute in the band and the orchestra and won a high school concerto competition to be a piano soloist with the high school orchestra, and I just really loved it. And I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in music, or I wanted to further my studies in music. I actually, you know, even toyed with the idea at that very early age, too, of maybe doing something outside of the music business. I wasn't quite sure what. Becoming a lawyer seemed interesting to me. I was very interested in politics and things like that. But I guess at some point, I realized that I'd never have an opportunity again at that point in my life to really dig in and have the time to develop myself as a musician and to get a taste of that. And I felt that if I didn't pursue that, I might always regret it. You know, if it didn't work out, I could always become a lawyer or do something else. (laughs) That's a pretty mature awareness. I don't know how many people would recognize as young people that this is the time for them to pursue it. 
Yeah. And that's what I tell people a lot now, you know, that are struggling about, you know, boy, this is such a big investment of money and time and everything else. And, you know, I just say, well, if you even think you want to do this, this is the time to really explore because, you know, you're just never going to have the time to really dig in this way again. And the skills that musicians learn as they're, you know, learning their craft, there's a lot of discipline and focus and knowledge of so many other things that Mm -hmm. are required to be a musician. I think they're just such phenomenal skills for anybody to have. And I think, you know, whatever you go on to do, even if it's not in music, there's so much of what you've learned in the discipline of becoming a musician that serves you well. Yeah. Any employer would look at that and think that that's highly valued. At least I hope so anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Could you have possibly foreseen at that time that you would be in artist relations? Would that have been on your radar? I had no idea at that point in time what that was even about or what the music industry about was about or even, you know, as I, you know, entered college many, many years ago, you know, once I decided that I was going to go to music school, then I was sort of all in and I was all committed. And I knew I didn't want to be a public school music teacher. I didn't want to be, you know, a music educator. So I went down the piano performance route and really wanted to throw myself into the study of the instrument and learning the repertoire and, you know, just kind of learning the whole world of the piano as it was in those days. Yeah. And I think I was honest enough with myself to know that it was probably highly unlikely that I was going to be the next Horowitz or Argerich or anything on that level. But, you know, I kind of looked around and I thought that some of my piano professors and the faculty at music schools, they had what I thought was a nice life, totally immersed in music. They had a teaching schedule. They had some performance dates and things like that, you know, mostly locally. Some engagements were bigger than others, but overall, it seemed like a nice life. So then I, you know, I don't know, maybe around my freshman year, I thought, well, okay, I could still complete this degree and work towards becoming professor of piano Mm -hmm. at some other music institution or at some institution somewhere. And this could be a nice life. You get your summers off and you (laughs) are in a, you know, an academic environment. Most of these campuses are pretty nice and all of that kind of thing. So that's sort of what I envisioned myself doing. Yeah. But I think at some point along the way of the undergraduate program, I realized even then that it really still required a ferociously dedication, I guess, Mm -hmm. to the art and that you still had to be the best of the best. to pursue this line of work. I also looked around and realized that there were lots of my colleagues who were very, very, very talented and Mm -hmm. probably, honestly, much more talented than I am. Plus, I was noticing that I was spending long, long, long hours in the practice room. And that was very difficult for me because I think I am by nature a very social person. Mm -hmm. And particularly in college, you know, college is a very social place. And so I struggled with that. And this all required me to do a lot of soul searching. I was taking elective courses outside of my undergraduate, you know, music curriculum just to sort of explore some things. 
And I don't know, as I started to think about this and research it and what did I want to do and if I wasn't going to teach piano at the college level, then what other options were there for me? And I realized that, you know, I loved listening to music, had a nice record collection, and I just started to think about other careers in the music industry beyond teaching. And this was long before, you know, now so many schools and universities have courses in entrepreneurship and have music business programs and arts administration programs. When I was going to college, those programs didn't exist. So I talked to my advisor about possibly taking some business classes, and I took one or two as an undergraduate. And then someone in the business school said, well, why don't you just get an MBA when you're done with your mm-hmm. piano program? If if this is the direction that you want to go in and you want to pick up some skills that might actually help you get a job. Because mm-hmm. I also had a fair amount of student loans and I was worried about how I would actually pay those loans back and knew that I had to you know, have a steady job, have some steady income and So that just seemed like a logical alternative. Either I could go to law school and become a lawyer or try to get into the music business. (laughs) I was going to say, so now that you're in this business and you've you've had this trajectory, what does a, a day or a week in the life of Bonnie Barrett look like today in artist management for Yamaha? Oh, my gosh. No day is ever the same around here. Which is something that I actually love because it's constantly exciting and interesting and enjoyable. I'm very lucky and very blessed to work with an amazing team of colleagues, all of whom are also very accomplished in their own right. And we have an amazing artist roster that we're privileged to work with. So, you know, on any given day, things are different. Yesterday, we had a huge camera crew here from CBS News 60 Minutes doing a segment, filming a segment on one of our artists. And then that piece will air sometime in the fall of 2019. So I can't really divulge too much more than that at this point. But our third floor piano studio was transformed into a giant television station, essentially, (laughs) with one of the CBS News correspondents conducting the interview with the artist and this artist teacher, etc. That was yesterday. Today, we're hosting auditions for the Paderewski International Piano Competition. So we have about 20 young pianists coming in and out of here today with a very distinguished jury listening to their auditions and deciding who will be invited to compete in the, the next Paderewski Piano Competition in Poland. Are you organizing these events? Are you, I mean, I know that you have to delegate a lot, but you're reaching out to all these people and trying to create all this excitement and buzz at Yamaha Artist Services? What we do here, I'm part of a, you know, an international network of Yamaha Artist Relations Centers. So we have Artist Relations Centers in Moscow and in Japan, of course, and in China and in Europe, of course. We closely coordinate with all of our international colleagues for that. So so the Paderewski came in through our, we've had a long time association with this particular competition on a global level. And a lot of the Yamaha Artist Relations Centers worldwide host these regional auditions. Mm. So that's how that came to be. I can't really claim a whole lot of credit for that. Um, (laughs) As far as the CBS News shoot, that came about, I mean, I signed the artist who is being profiled in that segment. 
And so his manager and I have been kind of working on this for a while. And we both agreed that hosting the shoot here at Yamaha Artist Services would make the most sense because we have all kinds of pianos that he can be playing on. And they they did shoot some footage of him playing the piano and actually also performing alongside his teacher. Well, you must have met dozens or even hundreds of talented, interesting pianists over the years. Do you have any personal favorite stories or anecdotes that when you look back, you say, wow, that was amazing or <laughs> something to that extent? Yeah, yeah. I Oh, gosh, I have so many of them. It's hard to pick one or two. But, you know, there was one time many, many years ago when I was in the, you know, before I got into the musical instrument business, when I was in the recording industry, and I arranged to have Emmanuel Axe mm-hmm. introduce the classical Grammy Award winners for that particular year. And this was when there was still a small segment that was televised for the classical winners. Now they're not even part of the Grammy broadcast at all. But in that particular year, it was. It was held at Radio City Music Hall. And so Manny was thrilled to do it. And that was also the year that I think Michael Jackson had just come out with the follow-up to Thriller. I think it was mm, bad. bad. Yeah. Was the second. Yeah. So, so anyone who was on stage that night, you know, we were first ushered into the green room. And, and then, so I accompanied Manny to this event, to the Grammy Awards. And Manny was so excited because he said, oh, Bonnie, there's Michael Jackson and there's Billy Joel. And to which I said to to him, I said, you know what? I bet they're saying there's Emmanuel Uh, Axe, (laughs) which to me, you know, I think the world of him as as a a human being and as a pianist. So, but that was a fun night. And we sat in the audience right behind Michael Jackson that night. So it was kind of a memorable night. Right after Hurricane Katrina happened, I signed Alan Toussaint as an artist, and he was so thrilled because his piano had been completely destroyed by Hurricane Katrina. And I actually heard about it. I was at home watching CNN, you know, CNN's coverage of of Hurricane Katrina and the correspondent, I can't remember specifically now if she had interviewed Alan or was just talking about the devastation of for some of the musicians there who had lost everything. And specifically, Alan had lost his entire recording studio oh, and wow. his piano and everything else. So I was able to work on not only signing him, but getting him access access to a piano. And he was just so overwhelmed with gratitude by that. And I think every time he saw me after that, he thought I was some angel that had come down from heaven. (laughs) (laughs) So he would always, he treated me so kindly and it was very sweet. So, I mean, I have lots of stories like that, but it's, you know, it's always wonderful when you can do something that really helps an artist find their voice, find their artistic voice, help them get the recognition that they deserve. So that, you know, I kind of live vicariously through them in those, in those cases. So speaking of unknown artists, are there any people right now that when you know of that, you know, are relatively unknown and maybe they're struggling, but they're just so phenomenal artistically, anyone in particular or any few in particular where you say, gosh, I wish the world knew these people. These are amazing artists. 
Well, I, you know, I have to say that because particularly since I, you know, we oversee a roster of amazing classical and jazz pianists, I would like every single one of them to have more renown and recognition. I would like the genres of classical and jazz music to have a bigger place in the, the overall music firmament. Like I just said before, sadly, they're not even featured in the in the Grammy broadcast. So, you know, this is a, a symptom, part of a bigger problem, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. One of your jobs is to strengthen and expand the Yamaha Artist Relations Program. Your arrival at Yamaha coincided with some exciting new instruments that Yamaha produced, specifically the CFX Concert Grand. How has that had an impact on the classical scene for Yamaha? Well, it's been an entire game changer, I'd say, for Yamaha. Mm -hmm. So many artists have now discovered this instrument. They love it. They're comfortable with it. And, and many have decided to make it their preferred instrument of choice. So, yeah, I think when I joined Yamaha, there were kind of several, and I apologize, we are on Fifth <laughs> Avenue here, so you can hear. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. In the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it coincided with, you know, with a lot of excitement. There was the CFX there was also the introduction of the Avant Grand, which was an amazing hybrid instrument that has concert grand piano action built mm -hmm. into it. But the hammers don't strike strings. They break solenoid laser beams. And so the piano never needs to be tuned. And, you know, many of our artists have just really loved that instrument as well for mm -hmm. practicing and for, you know, lots of other applications. So there was CFX, Avant Grand, and of course... It was still very early into Yamaha's acquisition of Bosendorfer. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I felt like I was a kid in the candy store, that I had these yeah. three amazing instruments and instrument lines to work with. And I really had the best of all possible worlds. Plus, we had the resources here of our beautiful Midtown Manhattan piano studios. And mm -hmm. I have, an as I mentioned earlier, I have an amazing team of colleagues, all professionals, very professional, very experienced in their own right. And so it was kind of a perfect storm. And we've just had a, a wonderful foundation on which to build and we keep building. <laughs> so it's yeah. been a lot of fun and very exciting. And I'm very, very proud of what we've done and the quality and caliber of artists that we're, we've been able to engage with and attract to our artist roster. And, you know, we just continue. I mean, it just goes on and on. I think the challenge to us now is that we actually want to remain somewhat selective yep. because we do work so closely and intensively with the artists with whom we are engaged and we provide a wide range of services and we become mm -hmm part of their overall career management team. So we look at each artist as an investment of our time, of our money, of our resources. And, you know, we do sincerely believe in what they do. And we really want to work very collaboratively with them to help them find their artistic voice. Yeah. Now there's another product too that we haven't talked about that I think expands their ability to collaborate and expand their opportunities. And that's the Disclavier. Do you want to talk about that? 
Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That's been also just an amazing game changer. And this is just state-of-the-art technology that Yamaha had pioneered and has perfected. Yamaha has been in the disclavier technology business for, I think, almost 30 years now. And so for any listeners who don't know what the disclavier is, in a nutshell, it's an acoustic piano, first and foremost, that is no different than any other beautiful acoustic piano that Yamaha makes. But it has disclavier technology built in, MIDI technology that has now just become so perfected and so refined. So it's not only a playback piano, but we use it for recording and we can connect disclaviers one to the other through the internet over long distances. So we've connected a disclavier here in New York to disclaviers in Moscow, in Japan, in China, all over the world, Australia, you name it, South America. And this just provides a whole new world of opportunities for piano pedagogy. So we've had, you know, legendary piano teachers here in New York City, everyone from Byron Janis to mm. Julian Martin from the Juilliard School and Jerry Lowenthal from the Juilliard School, connected to students from all over the world mm. who otherwise wouldn't have access to these kinds of teachers. And of course, now our big frontier for all of this is China. Yeah. where there's just a huge hunger for, you know, piano teachers and learning piano and piano pedagogy. So, but the disclavier technology is really seamless and it connects these instruments on a real-time basis and we can connect the audio and video through a number of different platforms, including iChat or Skype or FaceTime or Internet2 or Polycom or any number of these platforms, and it's amazing. And not only that, we use the Disclavier regularly here for our recording sessions of solo piano. Artists can come in and they can record directly to the Disclavier. And it doesn't matter what the room acoustics are or if you hear the ambulances going by like we just heard. The Disclavier doesn't pick up any of the room noise. It's just the artist is recording directly to the piano itself. Mm-hmm. That MIDI data, if you will, comes out on a thumb drive. We can plug the thumb drive into Pro Tools on a computer and we can edit that MIDI data. So we can sculpt the performance that was just recorded. We can alter the articulation, the dynamics. We can change the pedaling. We can correct wrong notes. And I often say to the artist, be careful because this still has to sound like you at the end of the day. But You know, in the traditional way of recording, it's an artist going into a studio and doing take after take after take after take. And the the producer will just kind of patch together, you know, the snippets of each take that are the best. So that's not often really authentic either. In this case, what's so great about it is that, you know, I have to be honest, after listening to many, many, many recording sessions over the years, it's often the first take that's the freshest. I have noticed that actually myself, yeah. Yeah, of course. And so what if there's a few wrong notes or there's, you know, something that you want to change? Now we can still do it, but still preserve the spirit and the spontaneity of that first take. Yep. And, you know, just correct the little things that may need correcting. So, you know, it really is, it's super efficient. It reduces the overall time spent in the studio. It reduces the stress on the artist because they don't have to yeah. be so worried about the wrong notes. So it's really been a fantastic 
way of recording. And again, a super game changer. So yeah, we love the disc Levere. We're very proud of it. And it really has had a significant impact on what we do here day in and day out. Yeah. Tell me about Disclavier TV also, because that's something that I don't think many people are aware of. Right. So Disclavier TV allows us to capture again the MIDI recording of the piano itself that's perfectly synced with a video recording of a particular performance or event that can be played back either live time or recorded for future playback on anywhere. Mm -hmm. Most of our Disclavier TV recordings are just that recordings that you know are we have a Disclavier TV network this is sort of a connected network of Disclavier owners that can basically subscribe to the Disclavier TV platform and basically it's like a pay-per-view or content on demand kind of thing where they can tune in and and listen to all of the Disclavier TV programming that has been curated by Yamaha and, and now there's you know, quite a vast collection of classical jazz, pop music that has been recorded over the years. It's also a fantastic way of capturing masterclasses and content for educational purposes. We've also curated a a small library of lecture recitals that we've captured by some of our artists who have a particular affinity in a particular area of repertoire, Mm -hmm. whether it's jazz or classical. And this is a way for a piano student to really learn something directly from a master in that particular area. That's and the, exciting. they're sitting in front of the disc clavier and the disc clavier is that artist playing it yep. right in front of them. So it's a very profound way of learning. Yeah, that is. That's really cool. And, you know, Yamaha has changed so much in the last 10 to 15 years. I am blown away by the introduction of the new instruments, the partnership with Bisendorfer. Do you find that artists are needing to rediscover Yamaha and Bosendorfer for that matter? So many artists that we encounter have known about Bosendorfer for years. It's one of the oldest piano makers in the world. And they've known about Yamaha for years. And many of them have heard about the CFX and have found the CFX pianos on various stages. But I think what they're really discovering are all of these, you know, technological advancements, you know, that I just referred to with the Disclavier, with the avant-garde and and yet another amazing instrument that that we're just beginning to explore and that's the transacoustic piano. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, again a whole other dimension of yeah. creating sound and piano music and so on and so forth. So you know, and just discovering the resources that we now bring to bear to support our artists, again, with our services here in New York City, but our connection to all of the other Yamaha artist centers throughout the world and the wonderful support of our dealers throughout the world. And, you know, we're delighted when we have an artist who's going to be in Portland or Seattle or California, anywhere, and they might need a place to practice or they might need a special instrument for a performance. And we know exactly where to send them and what piano exists there to help support them and that we can count on our valued partners in our dealer relationships to help support those artists. 
it's fun on the dealer side as well, just to meet the artists, to work with them, to try to provide a good experience for them, and then to hear the result of that, you know, in their concert or their masterclass. Or, I mean, exactly. that is the fun part of being in the in the piano business is is being touched by all that. Exactly. It is kind of a show to put it all together, you know, and it could be stressful, but it's super rewarding. Oh, absolutely, and they really appreciate you know everything that you guys do, and kind of having a landing pad when they are, you know, going into a city or a marketplace that they're not familiar with. So I know they are very appreciative, as are we in, in here in New York. Sure. Well, so now if you were talking to a group of aspiring pianists about careers in the music industry today, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but but how would you encourage aspiring musicians to think about the future? In some ways, it's a very challenging environment right now, but in some ways, it's also a very exciting one because there are a lot of, there's a lot of ways now to, as I said, kind of cut through the clutter and to find, a, you know, to find your lane, I guess, and to be heard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's certainly, I think it's a given that you have to be an exceptional musician. You have to really know your craft and you have to play well. But I think the most successful artists that we deal with also have found kind of their own unique, as I said, lane, that they may have a specialty in something, you know, whether it's a particular genre of music or a particular era of music that they specialize in contemporary music or they specialize in Baroque music or whatever. All of that is great, but they have some kind of personal connection to the programming that they do on a regular basis so that they become known for that. I think that's that's mm-hmm. important and that it's helpful. They also have to be very skilled at communication. They have to know how to reach their audience, how to talk to their audience, how to perform in a variety of environments, not just mm-hmm. the concert stage, but I think a lot of the musicians who are having success right now are often putting music where it's not and finding mm-hmm. alternative venues or alternative places to, again, introduce new audiences to music. Because if we don't have new audiences coming into classical and jazz music, we're never going to get to where we need to be to grow these art forms to where they should be. So yeah. particularly the younger musicians that I'm dealing with are very excited about these opportunities and these possibilities. They're collaborating with musicians that may be outside the genres. They're collaborating together within the genres. And again, they're just finding unique partners and collaborations external whether it's nonprofit organizations or corporate sponsorships or educational alliances or other strategic partners. And to a person, they all have to be very entrepreneurial. They have to know how to manage their own careers and manage their life on the virtual platforms, whether it's the internet or social media. And this is, again, all a way that they're cultivating their own audiences. And we try to help them do all of that, by the way. That's something that we enjoy doing. Right. Yeah, no, I know. You are great at it. I get the newsletter announcements and and those kinds of things. And super informative. I always learn something new. And Yamaha Artist Services is always kind of expanding my awareness of what's happening out there. So you guys definitely do great great work for the art community. Well, thank you. You're welcome. No, you're doing I mean, it's for me, from my perspective, having watched Yamaha's expansion 
so rapidly, especially in the classical world, has been kind of a mind blower. And I do think it coincides with the artists that you signed, but also the instruments. The instruments have become so incredible that I believe it's it's drawing these high-level artists to Yamaha. It's just been so much fun to be around in the industry while that's all taking place. So kudos. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I think because of our instruments and the technology and all of the support that we try to bring to the table, we're attracting, you know, very forward-thinking artists who are, you know, who are very entrepreneurial and creative and looking towards the future. And it's, you know, it's not about resting on the laurels of dead artists and, you know, old repertoire. There's an energy and a creativity that's very exciting that all of our artists have and that we really try to encourage. And I look at this as the future and, and the hope for, you know, for these genres and for our business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I I do feel just profoundly grateful that you took this time. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to thank everybody also for taking this time to listen to Piano Whisper. If you have any questions and if you'd like to reach out to me, uh, you're welcome to do so. You can reach us at uh, ben at pianowhisperer.org. So again, many, many thanks. I'm excited for our debut episode here with Bonnie Barrett from Yamaha Artist Services. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Ben. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you've been inspired to go deeper in your piano journey. To learn more about our podcast, please visit pianowhisper.org. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast.